This episode is brought to you by my upcoming live workshop, Put a Bow on It. It's time to put a bow on 2023, regardless of what your financial life looked like, especially towards the end of the year, and a bow on your 2024 as well. Spend the morning with me or evening, depending on where you are, learning my best tips and tricks to managing your money simply with ease and with joy, getting answers to things you once went to Google for, only to remain stuck and paralyzed. Let's make sure that doesn't happen in 2024. Let's kick it off already with a pretty bow because everything you do, even during difficult times, and even when it's somewhat difficult, deserves a nice bow on it. It's all a gift. Come on over. You can do this. Let's put a bow on it. Register at yaeltrush.com forward slash workshop. Jewish Money Matters episode 359, prioritizing mental health after October 7th and the new Israel POV with Dr. Azzi Yankovic. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You can have perfect faith in God, and you can have depression. You can have perfect faith in God, and you can have diabetes. You can have perfect faith in God, and you can die. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can have perfect faith in God and have a mental health challenge, a mental health diagnosis, you can end up yes, in a psychiatric institution. As you just heard, mental health is the topic of our interview today, something my guest feels is particularly relevant after the experiences of October 7th. Whether you were in Israel or outside of Israel, the past almost three months have left a mark on us that my guest says we should not be taking lightly. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Today, I'm in conversation with Dr. Azzi Yankovic. Azzi is a friend of the show. She's an American-Israeli entrepreneur, educator, and advocate. After two decades of teaching and guiding youth in the formal education system, she moved to Israel and moved into the space of communication, marketing, and entrepreneurship. She has written articles, a book, and produced a top-ranked podcast. And of course, she's been on the show before post-October 7th. Azzi has been engaged in Israel-focused projects and initiatives working to win the PR war and providing critical support on the ground. Azzi holds a doctorate in education leadership from the University of Southern California, as well as a master's in administration and bachelor's in sociology. She has a proven track record leading programs and symposiums, guiding purpose-driven entrepreneurs, and being a voice for change in the spaces of mental health, spirituality, and activism. Although I'm only airing this interview now, this was actually the first interview I conducted after October 7th. As he talks about her experience that day, what life has been like since, she candidly shares her challenges with mental health in an effort to normalize the conversation about the topic and to help you find the help that you might need without any shame whatsoever. Whatsoever. We talk about finances, whether they're a contributing factor to mental health, and about prioritizing your mental health post-October 7th, even if you think, oh, I don't have it as bad. And as these words, be vigilant. Finally, her most exciting initiative yet, Israel POV, a grassroots social media and PR initiative fighting radical terror and anti-Semitism, the proliferation of misinformation, fighting this with facts, education, Jewish values, and the truth of the Torah, the land of Israel, and the Jewish people. And yes, you can get involved. You can contact Azzi at Azzi at DrAzzi.co to learn more and see how you can get involved. And you can also make a tax-deductible donation at tinyurl.com dot com a new pov and as we say on the interview spreading truth illuminating the world with the truth might be something that we can all take a part on and it might just be what we need to usher in the final redemption for all here's the lovely dr azzi yankovic Yankovic, it's such a pleasure to have you. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. How are you? Thank you so much, Yael. Thank you so much for having me. You know, we that's were... the question. It's like, how are you? My new yeah. answer is really It's like a loaded things, question, right? What all are we things say? considered. I say all things considered. Thank God I am here. I'm present and I'm alive and I'm healthy and I'm safe and I'm grateful. 
I'm with you. And I think that's the word I was just telling you offline that that's the word. And I don't, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I do not take it for granted at all to be able to be sitting with you today, uh, an old friend, an old supporter. We've collaborated on so many projects. We've known each other for a while. After life's challenges, October 7th, which you experienced while living in Eretz Israel, after your own personal challenges with mental health, which you're very open about, and maybe we'll get even to some of that today. But all that to say that I woke up this morning and I said, and I knew this was on my calendar, I said, you know what, this is something to celebrate. This is something mm-hmm. that two Jewish friends, colleagues, fans of each other's work and supporters have been allowed the opportunity to spend another occasion together and collaborate and share some of our words of inspiration and our thoughts through this conversation. I don't take it lightly. I really appreciate it. So I said to myself, thank you, Hashem. And thank you to you, Asi, for the opportunity. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me. I know this is your first interview since October 7th. And you know, Yael, that feeling of gratitude, I mean, it literally brings tears to my eyes. I, I we're so confronted on a daily basis with the news that yet another, you know, young person in our neighborhood has been lost in battle. And, you know, globally, we're all hearing it and, and, and seeing it so front and center. I feel so compelled to live my life to the fullest. Mm. I've never felt this way before. When I, from the time I wake up in the morning until the time I close my eyes at night, it is on my mind constantly. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. This is, this is definitely, I think, created a new level of consciousness among all of us that if we are here on earth, there's a reason for every moment and every breath we're taking. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You've been living in Eretz Israel already how long, Ozzy? We moved in 2015, mm-hmm. summer 2015. So it's been about eight and a half years. Eight and a half years, right. So, so why don't we start with what is it like to live there in Israel right now? And then maybe we can talk about how you and your work have evolved since October 7th. Give us a little yeah. bit of the perspective from from there, from the, you know, from the ground. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So for a little bit of a background, I am married. I, we have four children ranging in ages from six to 19. My eldest is in national service, my daughter, and I do not have any children serving. My husband is not in the reserves. So that is my personal experience being here. I am really very privileged to live in the center of the country, in the city of Modi'in, where we've only had three or four sirens this entire time. Granted, we hear booms all day. Um, there have been several, unfortunately, several deaths um, from in, within our neighborhood. We had a rally last week in the city of Modi'in where the families of the hostages came and you know everyone knows someone there is news every single day everyone you talk to everyone you see is going through something and you know when this when this initially broke out where where were we we were all on the holiday of simchat torah and it was the morning and i was walking my six-year-old to synagogue and we were holding hands and this beautiful day and i heard a few booms and i wasn't too shaken by that but then I was met with some neighbors in the street who told me immediately the news. And this particular neighbor works for Hatzala, which is a first responder organization. She's a volunteer. And she heard on the on the uh, walkie-talkie what was going on. She said, Ozzy, it's really, really bad. And her son, who's my daughter's age, they also moved here eight years ago, had his uniform on. She was putting him in the car. She was taking him. And... I asked her, I said, do you think I should go to shul? She said, oh, maybe go to shul. So I, we keep walking, I'm walking with my son and then we see some more neighbors and they stop us and they implore us to listen to what's going on, listen to all the booms. That's the Iron Dome. That's just a few you know, miles over that way. And they told us to go home. So we, you know, I, I'm telling myself, I'm cool, I'm calm. I've, I've lived in Israel eight years. I can, you know, I'm just going to stay cool. I'm going to be calm. So we're walking home and I'm, you know, breathing and trying to pretend I'm fine and all of that stuff. And about five doors away from my house, these Israelis are screaming out their window at me in Hebrew. What are you doing running around the streets? Hurry home, run home. And I'm like, okay, like if the Israelis are yelling at me to hurry home, like this is serious. Serious. 
And it was from that moment, honestly, a panic. Like we came home, I was locking my gates and my doors and closing my windows and, you know, right away turned on the news and saw what was going on. And I mean, we did not know what was flying. All I saw on that way home were soldier after soldier getting in the car and leaving. My first vision was the Yom Kippur War, the 1973 war, when people talk about this, you know, this day, this holy day where you're not supposed to see soldiers getting in the car and driving and they are. And that's really what it felt like. And, um, you know, we were shifted right into that mode of like fight or flight, (laughs) fight, flight, freeze. Everyone was in that like immediate panic mode. And I went into all of them. You know, I had moments of like, surely on Shabbos where I could not get out of bed, could not move. And then the rest of the week, it was like fight. It was really doing whatever I could. I mean, first of all, I canceled anything that wasn't related to Israel. I immediately started noticing online. I I do so much work on social media with, I have so many connections in my network that are outside of Israel, outside of the Jewish world. And I immediately was just shocked and stunned. And I felt like I went through almost a spiritual, emotional death that knowing that we had hostages, real hostages in our country, our neighbors who are in Gaza. And these people who I see online are like posting smiley faces and, you know, peaceful meditations and all these things and not even acknowledging. And if I had been one of those hostages, it would have been the same. Like they do not care. They do not care about the Jewish people. They do not care about Israel. They do not care about me. And it was this immediate wake up call of like, you know what? Everything else is going away. I am focused solely on the Jewish people, solely on Israel. If anybody wants to jump on board with us and work towards peace on earth, that is my mission. And that is what I'm here for. And anyone who can't do that, anyone who cannot call out terror and who cannot speak their truth is not on my team. Uh So that was my emotional process that week. And then, you know, I canceled so much work and on the ground, I was like running errands. I was, you know, raising money on Facebook and running to the grocery store, buying the protein bars for the soldiers. And we have all of these groups in Modi'in, the synagogue, the the shul where we go here is so incredible. It's called KSYM. And they have, I mean, right away dispatched WhatsApp groups for drivers and for supplies and food. And they got organized so quickly. So I busied myself with that for several days and you know all of the kids were home there was no school to right. speak of so it was managing also the kids being home managing the emotional experience of knowing okay we can't really leave our kids at home because there could be a siren we're hearing the iron dome these loud booms like thunder all day long and there was just a, a fear we don't know what's doing you know um so that was like the first few weeks i would take my son to run errands with me, my six-year-old, and we'd go play at the local park. And, you know, we'd always kind of be looking for like, where's the safe room? And who's that guy over there taking out the garbage? And is he really taking out the garbage? Or what's, you know, just this like paranoia even. Mm-hmm. And and my my therapist, thank God I found an amazing therapist right before this all started, which is no small feat for me. Yeah, She said to me in the very beginning, she said, listen, any abnormal response like any response you're having is a normal response to a very abnormal experience Mm -hmm. and i know so many mental health professionals who themselves are struggling i mean i've had conversations with so many and i think hearing that and and allowing myself to acknowledge that truth really gave me permission to do whatever i needed to do and really drop the guilt and drop the shame um for for anything and everything listen that was the first you know several weeks and and having a background in mental health having gone through so many challenges and having done so much research in this space i knew that i needed to staff up i knew that i needed to be in contact with my psychiatrist who i worked so hard to find i have a great one um a therapist constant contact with her um I started a new nutrition plan. I had been wanting to go on keto for months. I read this incredible, incredible book, y'all, called Brain Energy by Dr. Christopher L. Palmer out of Harvard. And he he has done research on keto for different mental health diagnoses. And it was on the top of my list for so many months. I was postponing it. I thought it was going to be difficult. I thought it was going to be hard. I had this mind drama that it was going to be hard. 
But after the war started, I knew I was not feeling at my best. Mm -hmm. I knew I needed to change. And I figured, you know what, maybe I'll try it. So I started it with the help of a dietitian. And I'm telling you, putting all these things in place, I feel strong. I feel clear. I, I feel as much as I laid on my Pilates mat today and literally cried in the middle of a class. I feel I feel on my game. I feel strong. I feel stronger than I've ever been. And I think it's because of I've done the work and I have yeah. the knowledge. You I know, I know say. that you know, expression is the opposite of depression and it's okay to cry on your Pilates mat Mm -hmm. and it's okay to sleep extra if you need to. It's okay if you need a medication. It's okay to spend time with friends. It's okay to have laughter therapy. It's okay to take more time off. It's anything and everything we can do to take care of our vessels so that we can show up and serve God. I'm, I am so with you and I'm glad you brought it to this point because it's, you know, knowing a little bit about your experience, it sounds that that your experience with mental health, it prepared you for, for this. And these, these things that you're saying, these pillars that you've put into place to help you, it's because you've learned over the years that if you don't help yourself, nobody else is going to help you. It's you and God. You know what I mean? Um, and and I know you're very Absolutely. vocal about it. And you've had even experiences with magic medical negligence and things like that. Maybe take yes. us, take us. I want to talk a little bit about your professional work at the moment, but I but now that we're in it, take us a little bit to that because I know you began before October 7 to be super vocal about mental health and saying, you know what, I'm not going to stay quiet because I've learned a great deal along the way, and I know there's people struggling and I am here to tell them and help them through the struggle based on my experience. And many of them have been, you know, frustration with, you know, medical professionals, et cetera. So tell us a little bit about what, what some of the core messages that you sh- want to be sharing with people regarding your mental health based on your experience. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so important. You know, I was raised in a family of doctors and we always were taught to get a second opinion, get a third opinion. Mm -hmm. And I learned from a very young age how important that was with a childhood injury and, and the importance of being vigilant and really making sure, you know, here in Israel, no does not mean no. Okay. No, never means no, no means keep trying. And in my own mental health journey, you know, most recently last summer I was in the hospital, I had a cannabis induced psychosis. I was taking medical marijuana again under the supervision of a psychiatrist and had a psychosis from there. Now psychosis is magical. There are magical things about psychosis. You know, the brain in mania is working really hard and your senses are heightened. And there's even like a psychedelic element of it. There's an element of feeling real connection, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, a person is not always functioning. So I did end up in the hospital and post hospital, I came home and it's very common after you have that, you know, heightened state, that psychotic state to come down. And I knew I needed help. And I thought that working with the the bipolar specialist in the neighborhood, I, I cannot mention his name because of our strict defamation laws, but he's known to be the best, um, you know, specialist in our area and the country, in fact, one of the best in the world, supposedly. And unfortunately, he took the liberty to sedate me. He gave me the wrong medications. This was caught and confirmed by my general doctor. Everything is socialized medicine here. So if this had happened anywhere else, there wouldn't really be a checks and balances. But Mm. because the prescriptions were going through my general doctor, she found some grave errors that he was making. Wow. Wow. That's a miracle in and of itself right there. It was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. And it happened about a year ago. It was November of last year. It was right before my birthday, I remember. And I discovered the mistake and I texted him and I let him know and he blamed me, called me a difficult patient. I stressed him out so much. He gave me the wrong prescription. So that was the end of that. And um, I found someone, I I looked really hard. It's hard. There's not really a good system in terms of finding people here in Israel. Um, There's really no ratings or reviews like we have in, in other places, but I was finally able to find somebody who was 
good enough. What do I mean good enough? Listen, my ideal world, I follow the experts, the people who are trained in, you know, you name it, integrative health and and all every cert, cert, every all the things. Those are the people that I follow on Instagram. Um, nevertheless, they're not really Israel supporters. But mm-hmm. that was an aside. Um, so my psychiatrist here, listen, she's really good. She's traditional. She is traditional psychiatrist. And what I will say about her is that as much as she looks to medicine as a first line, she's also interested in the rest of my life. So we talk about lifestyle and sleep and nutrition. And when I came to her, I mean, I'm always researching. And so when I came to her and I said, listen, I found this book, Brain Energy and this keto diet. I mean, she did the research. She, it wasn't as though she had made her mind up. You know, there are certain doctors who will say like, you know, they know how it is and they'll give you like a no right away. She was open. And I think what's so important when you're talking about your mental health or your care in general is to work with practitioners who, yes, they know their stuff, but they're not so full of themselves, right? They don't think they're like the expert. A real expert is open to learning. So she's Mm -hmm. open to new ideas and she looked into it for me and she gave me the green light. You know, she, she helps me try new things. And so I would say that as best as you can, find someone who's willing to really work with you. If you are someone who you want, you want the A plus here. You don't want to feel mediocre. You want to feel Mm -hmm. great. And I believe that no matter what your diagnosis is, I do not care if you have depression, anxiety. I have bipolar. If you have bipolar, that would be you. Schizophrenia, schizoid affective, does not matter. We live in a day and age where there are treatments available. And I know that it can be challenging and I know it's not always a straight line, but I really believe that there's hope for everyone. And I believe that healing can happen. So that's my best advice is really to be vigilant, be hopeful, also be patient with yourself. You know, these things take time. I'll tell you, it was last November that I started working with my new doctor and only a year later, am I really feeling like, okay, you know, I can make it through the day without eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sleeping a lot more than that and it was, uh, it's been a journey, but thank let, God. Let me ask you this, your condition, you knew about this condition for, for, from childhood, no? So when I was, a, when I was young, I had, I always had a lot of empathy and, you know, big emotions. I would, you know, I remember my mom said I cried at Sesame Street when Big Bird left for camp. And, you know, she tells me these stories that I was always a big empath. And I think that served me in a lot of ways because I always had really close relationships with people. Mm-hmm. But it was also very challenging in the sense that I felt the pain of the world. And from a very young age, I dealt with depression and I dealt mm-hmm. with feelings of hopelessness and and a real lack of meaning from a young age. I was looking for meaning and I found myself in this like very cookie cutter California public school. And I felt like I was just going through these emotions and it all felt so meaningless. So I had depression to contend with from a very young age. From the time I was 17, I was diagnosed with bipolar and it was a pretty complicated situation. Um, how I ended up with the diagnosis here, you're gonna love this one. Um, I was actually on a plane to Israel and it was my first trip to Israel. It was summer of 1998, and I had just got a cast off my foot, my left foot. I had broken my foot, of course, skateboarding in <laughs> April of 1998. And I get the cast off, and I'm not going to let anything stop me from getting on the plane to my first trip to Israel. But there's a big but. I had metal in my foot, and on the airplane, because of the elevation, my whole foot swelled up. Oh, my. And I was in so much pain that no amount of Advil or melatonin would help me sleep. And I shifted into a a severe psychosis. And I got a little case of Jerusalem syndrome. I got here and I had never seen traditional Jews in my life. Mm I had never seen Jerusalem. And I got here and I really felt like I was a part of something. I felt like there was so much light here and i wanted to stay and of course everybody called me crazy and sent me home and then they gave me a diagnosis of bipolar disorder mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i wasn't all that off i right. really wasn't i was just ahead of my time in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and um you know grants that i couldn't sleep that is dangerous for the brain so i came home got this diagnosis and they threw me on lithium which for me was a disaster 
I went from being an A student to entering the University of Judaism and failing my classes because I could not even stay awake for an hour every day. So my journey with bipolar and with medication started at a young age. And I will tell you, I have tried everything in the book. There has not been one day that has gone by where I haven't learned something or researched something or spoken with someone about mental health because I have suffered so many times. So that is really where the journey began for me. Do you think that diagnosis was premature? I don't believe that the diagnosis is the answer. I believe mm -hmm. that the diagnosis is pointing to a root cause. Right. I see the label, the diagnosis as a symptom of something that's happening beneath the surface. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's really what brain energy theory is all about. It explains, and this is new research again out of Harvard, that really melds and synthesizes all of the research that's come before it, whether it's genetics, epigenetics, mental health, neurology, you name it. This boils down to metabolism, mm -hmm. metabolic issues. And so when we're talking about mental health issues or even syndromes or obesity, there are metabolic issues. And when we address those at the root of the issue, we can see healing and it's incredible new research. I'm a huge proponent proponent. They do not pay me to say this, although maybe they could. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. You know, I picked up the book and I felt like I was reading a biography with all mm -hmm. of these symptoms and mm -hmm. I feel so grateful really. Um, I feel grateful that I understand even simple things, you know, yeah, I'll, there's so many things that can help a person in terms of mental health. Like, you know, my keto diet is helping me for the last month, but there's also basic, basic things like when you wake up in the morning, getting early morning light, mm -hmm. getting light at sunset without sunglasses, you know, that's something turning off all the lights in your bedroom and making sure there's no ambient light when you're sleeping, mm -hmm. turning off your devices an hour before you go to sleep, trying to go to sleep earlier rather than later, um, hydration, supplementation, nutrition, movements, expressing your emotions, having an emotional detox. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but there are so many tools that we have at our disposal that we can really use to feel better. And, and, and begs the question because a lot of the, not all of those tools you were perhaps using, but I, I know, for example, meditation, movement, these things were very big on your protocol. And yet you just told us, look, I ended up hospitalized. I was yep. missed, you know, I was under medical, um, medical cannibalists and it was a disaster. I was misdiagnosed. Um, I got to that place. So maybe tell us there what what did you think what what do you think happened there and that might help somebody in the audience yeah absolutely i mean i think you know like anything whether it's like starting a new business or trying anything out that's new there's going to be testing phases and there's going to be adjustments that need to happen and you know there are so many different variables so for one person that medical cannabis could have been the solution but for me that was not the right variable. It mm -hmm. just wasn't going to work. And it's okay that I went to the hospital. I got pretty good care. I made some good friends. Mm -hmm. I had a, I had a nice time. They had an organic uh, fruit garden there and <laughs> we got to sit in the grass and enjoy the nice Israeli sunshine. It was not all bad. Actually, listen, really, I could go more into that. They had dog therapy. They would bring dogs. Mm -hmm. We had laughter therapy. There was a guy who would come in and teach us to do these exercises. Ho, 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 he, he, he. I'm telling you, you move your arms and you say these words and you laugh. Mm -hmm. It induces laughter. We did all sorts of art therapy, breaking tiles, and we had music therapy. And there were so it's many It's all things. the stuff that we wish we had been doing before that. Yes. Yes, we should all have that. I mean, honestly, we all need the organic garden where we can go and pick grapes. I mean, it was so, they really had some incredible things at this place. And it was, I learned, I learned a lot. I really learned a lot. It wasn't all bad that I was there. So, you know, one thing I want to share on this podcast, I saw a post yesterday from Hillefold and bless him. He's doing some good work in the space of Israel advocacy, but he said something that I messaged him about. I called him out personally 
and he said he did not mean it personally and he did not mean it literally but what he said was because he has faith in god he hasn't ended up in a psych ward Mm -hmm. and you know i get it it's kind of kitschy but at the same time i want to be very very clear that you can have perfect faith in god and you can have depression you can have perfect faith in god and you can have diabetes you can have perfect faith in god and you can die okay Mm -hmm. so you can have perfect faith in god and have a mental health challenge a mental Mm -hmm. health diagnosis you can end up yes in a psychiatric institution so he did not mean it literally but it jumped out at me and i wanted to bring it up because it is so, so, so important. And you know, it's interesting. I spoke to a neighbor of mine just yesterday and she she was telling me that she has a rub, this you know, Kabbalistic rub, and he tells her what to eat. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, now he's telling you what to eat, but it's not working for you. And oh. it's actually not scientific. And it's really lovely that he thinks you should subsist on like, you know, spelt grains and grapes and olive oil and wine. But that's just not like, you know, like people have their shitas, but at the end of the day, we need to find what works for us. And, you know, if it is your your rabbi and his Kabbalah and all of those things, like more power to you. But if that's not working for you, I again, it's like, be vigilant, find what's going to work. And there's, it doesn't mean you're a less faithful person. It doesn't mean you're a less religious person. If you have to turn to science or doctors, um, medical doctors. And I think we all need to be really, really loving and compassionate for ourselves. There is absolutely no shame in needing help at all. And there is no shame in having a diagnosis and you can be a perfectly faithful person. I think it's a very important disclaimer and and I I could see why you would have been sensitive and it would have jumped at you because you yourself shared how, you know, you were in one of your lowest moments. And yes, at that moment, you also expressed how you were just talking to the creator, like you innately knew this is who I'm going to. So I think it's important for us to know that within our faith and our belief system, there is also that space for we need science and medicine to help us. And that is not mutually exclusive with the work that we have to constantly every single day do regarding our nurturing our faith and nurturing more importantly, our reliance and dependence on Hashem. And and you yourself recognize it is God who sent me finally the right prescription, the right doctor, by me not being a, a doormat either. I also advocate for myself. You know, God, God says, you help yourself. I'm going to be helping you, right? And you recognize the journey is also yes. a divine journey. So we're not leaving God out of the picture. We're saying God has yes. placed this challenge amidst me. Um, obviously, there's something here, right? Yeah, I'll, yeah I'll, yes. You know what? You remind me of the most powerful moment I had one year ago. When all I could do with my prayers was say, help me, help me, help me. I used to lay on my balcony facing Jerusalem with my face down to the ground. I could barely move. And all I would say over and over again was help me, help me, help me. And I got to a point one day where there was darkness. There was pure darkness. And I I was, I was saying again, help me, help me, help me. And suddenly there was, there was like white, you know, when you close your eyes and suddenly the light, like the, the, the tone changes. And instead of hearing myself asking, I heard God asking me, help me, help me, help me. And I was like, I, I, I heard it. And I was like, oh my God, me, like I can do something. And I promise you, I'm nobody's going to believe me when I say this, but I really felt one year ago that I was good for nothing. Mm-hmm. I really felt like I had nothing to give the world. I'm telling you, I was so depressed. It was my brain was so dysfunctional. I really thought I had nothing left to give the world. And I heard that. And it did not change my life like this. It did not help me suddenly function the way that I'm functioning today. But it gave me a ray of hope that maybe I could do something to serve God. Maybe. Maybe there was something. And I just kept coming back to that thought every day, you know, and this past year after, you know, after what happened on, on October 7th happened, I have a new balcony. We moved from our kibbutz. We moved to the city of Modine. And now instead of facing the Ayolan Valley, I face the city and, uh, and I had a different mantra that came to me last week. 
and I was feeling strong and I was feeling helpful. And I feel, thank God, I realize I do have kohot to serve God and I can help a lot of people and I'm doing a lot of good in the world. And I'm not perfect. I'm human, but I'm trying every day and I'm doing my best. And so I said to God, everything you have given me is for you. Mm-hmm. There you go. And I heard that being spoken back to me from God. Everything that I have given you is for you. Mm. Wow. I have chills. I have chills. And then with that, let's talk about what you're doing, um, aside from self-care, <laughs> which I'm very happy with, um, professionally, um, because there's definitely been a lot going on. Um, you, you have a media production company and I think you've been focusing the work, um, in, in that also for advocacy for related to Israel, not just mental health. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the shifts professionally. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, I mean, I've, I've done several things over the course of my career. I was an educator for two decades. After I made Aliyah, I got into pursuing my passions, wrote a book and started a podcast and started working with entrepreneurs, really bringing female entrepreneurs together to help one another, to mastermind, got into coaching and consulting. And after I got sick a few years ago, I had to put that on hold because I just couldn't get in front of the camera. I needed to Mm -hmm. be behind the scenes. So I took a role in our company. My husband and I have a company together called Kesher Video. I helped found it many years ago. My husband was working in film and selling TV shows that we wouldn't even watch. So I encouraged him to start his own business and he's a filmmaker and he's, he's such an idealist. So he did it, he took the ball and he ran with it. And I've always been in and out of that business in some capacity. I've always been involved, but I got more involved about a year ago. And as the year progressed, um, you know, we have all sorts of clients, mainly nonprofits, mainly Jewish organizations around the world. And most recently, what they've been turning to us for are the shoots, the footage, the clips of what's happening here on the ground. Mm-hmm. So. You know, first, October 7th, everything got canceled because all of the events and all of the, you know, planned symposiums and all of the trips and all those things. But then a week later, the phone started ringing off the hook and it was like, we need to get the footage of what's happening here. And it hasn't been easy because so many videographers, bless them, incredible videographers that are in the reserves. So things are different, but we're working very hard to help a lot of organizations capture what's happening here on the ground. And I tell you, we still have this pair of shoes out in the hallway. My husband went down to Kibbutz Berry with an incredible organization, European Leadership Network, LNET. They brought a group of um, of diplomats from Europe to this solidarity mission and they took them to the wreckage wow. right after October 7th. And his shoes are like, I mean, they were stepping on blood and they saw where the soldiers were identifying bodies and they, they saw the devastation. And, you know, God bless a, a, an organization like Elnet for taking diplomats to see that because they're changing the minds and they're changing mm-hmm. the public opinion and they're really doing a lot to help Israel. So, you know, that's but one example of some of the work that we've been doing in video. Um, I don't go on those shoots. I um, stay a little bit more behind the scenes when it comes to videos like that, but we do all sorts of work helping entrepreneurs and Israeli companies with marketing videos. So that's definitely something that we focus on. I shifted a bit as well. You know, I was about to launch a mastermind with with a good friend, um, you know, for Jewish women in business. And this happened and everybody just started doing different things, including the entrepreneurs. Like nobody was going to talk about a mastermind on October 8th. Mm -hmm. So I knew that. And I put that aside and I started connecting with people just organically on the phone from around the world who care about Israel. And some of the conversations we started getting into were really around this PR element, like Mm -hmm. what is happening on the internet? There's a huge divide. And the divide is people who have the facts and the information and who have perspective and who are focused on doing good in the world. And then those are, there are the people who are hopping on trends, yeah. who do not have the facts, who do not have the information. And there are also very well-educated people who have been subjected to academia that is 
actually being controlled by the Muslim Brotherhood 100%. and by radical Islam that has gotten into the curriculum of the Western world, believe it or not. This was premeditated in the early 1990s. Mm -hmm. So we have a situation where we have people jumping on trends with, without information or facts, people who are getting their news, 85% of young people from social media. And then we have the well-educated folks who are believing many of the peer-reviewed studies that they have read in universities like Columbia and Harvard, which are absolutely false based on complete and total lies. Mm -hmm. And that is really what we're, what we're up against. So those are the conversations I started getting into, you know, in addition to like running around and, and buying supplies and doing things on the ground. It was also like this more sort of meta, like what's happening online and what can we do to fight this fight and win this battle online so lots of conversations have happened in that department lots of things in the works one of them is a brand new campaign called israel pov and that is something that we are rolling out this week we just got some seed funding wow to do a campaign and i'm so grateful and i'm so excited about it that is so excited. It's exciting. Israel POV. Oh, I can't wait for that. That's amazing. That is so good. Now I want to go back to something I didn't ask when we're talking about mental health, but do you think financially, because you were in Israel, you were able to get treatment that perhaps, you know, there's the downside of negative experiences you had, but then is there an upside financially to have been in a country like Israel and not in an, in let's say America and have to deal with, you know, hospital bills and et cetera, et cetera. So the first thing I want to say is that if you're dealing with hospital bills in America, you can get help. So you can mm -hmm. contact, um, if you have a diagnosis, you may be eligible for disability. You may be eligible for all sorts of federal services. Um, I remember the first time I was in the hospital in LA, I got a bill for like $200,000 and my psychiatrist said, no problem, just apply for disability. And it was like, boom, gone. Mm -hmm. So if he had not, I mean, he was a private psychiatrist. I, I don't even, I got so fortunate. Right. People need to know that there are resources available. Again, if you get that big bill in the mail, do not think that that's what has to happen that you have to yeah. pay. Like. If you are sick and you need help, there may be respite available for you. So mm -hmm. definitely get the best help that you possibly can. If you do not have the financial resources at all, just be vigilant, search, ask around, ask for help and ask your local organizations, ask your synagogue, just ask. And you it's you you'll find something. Um, I cannot say financially it's like better off to be here or there. Listen, psychiatry here is hard to come by. If I want to have a psychiatrist through the social services, it'll be like once a month, 30 minutes. I'm lucky if she you. speaks English. Um, and not to mention the fact that living in Israel is not inexpensive. It is, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't even know how to do the math or make the comparison, but mm -hmm. living here, I did not come here to, um, you know, this was not like the gold rush. I didn't come here to get rich. I came here for spiritual reasons and, um, you know, it's uh, financially, it can be challenging in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Yeah. And I do not take that for granted one bit that I have the good fortune of living here. Um, and I just try to do whatever I can to prioritize health. And even if that means, you know, reallocating money that would be for a vacation budget to, you know, having the help that I need, that's just, you know, that's just what we have to do. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. So Assy, you've been so open about your struggle with mental health. And and I so appreciate your honesty. Uh, I think it's extremely helpful. One thing that comes to mind, I wonder if it'd been part of your experience, or if you've seen it in others experience is there's often a connection between financial struggles and mental health struggles. Was this you think maybe a contributing factor um, at any point in your in your own experience? Is this something you see in others? What do you say to that? So I will say one thing very clearly, mental health does not discriminate. Mental health issues do not discriminate. We know now that mental health issues, along with so many other syndromes, autoimmune issues are affecting us because of the molecular level, um, on a mitochondria level, on a metabolic level. 
and that does not discriminate. Now, this is not to say, this is not to say that people with fewer resources are going to struggle the most. The most vulnerable people will always struggle the most in the sense that if they need resources in order to heal vital medical care, therapy, anything that requires money, time, travel, Mm -hmm. mental capacity. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, we all need resources. So Mm -hmm. we need resources in terms of time, money. We also need support. We need people. If you don't have someone to drive you to uh, an appointment, if you don't have transportation to get to the therapist, you can't get to the therapist. If you don't have money for the therapist, you you can't go. Um, So I definitely know that those who struggle the most are the most vulnerable populations. We know that. We know that from research. That being said, mental health issues don't discriminate. Some of the wealthiest people in the world have had absolutely horrific struggles with mental health. And most people are not public about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mental health issues. You know, we are still dealing in in an era where there is still stigmatization. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to have, I don't know if the numbers are so different in populations, yeah, between um, say the haves and the have nots in terms of the percentage who have, you know, are diagnosed with, with certain disorders. Yeah. Um, but certainly resources are very helpful. Right. In dealing with the matter. Right. But saying that that is, um, a trigger necessarily, it could be, it's not, but it doesn't have to, meaning you could have plenty of resources and, and, and still, still have mental health issues, or you could be struggling financially, and that might be a trigger for an issue or it might not. Sure, absolutely. I, you know, you, there's so many variables. There was a study done in the 70s called suicide. And it was a famous study in a lot of the sociology classes over the years. I remember reading it years back. And the study is about how heirs, those who inherit a large amount of money, are actually more prone to depression, Mm. because what are they doing? if you don't have to worry about money, if you don't have to think about money even, then suddenly you have to find purpose outside of that space. You have to find purpose, you have to find meaning. And I think the the vast majority of people on the planet are very much in the space of needing resources and needing Mm -hmm. to think about where those resources coming from. But the second somebody doesn't have to think about that anymore, the game changes. And I'm sure, I mean, I've over the years since I've been public about my own struggles, you know, having been diagnosed with depression at 15 and bipolar at 17, and certainly none of that had to do with anything financial. Mm -hmm. I was growing up in a stable family and it was much more, it it went far beyond that. Um, I mean, we could talk about, now what I think, I think a lot of it had to do with diet, in all honesty. Um, I mean, I've learned so much over the years and there's so much research about what we can do. But what I'll say was that it definitely was not a factor in terms Mm -hmm. of like what led me, wasn't that I was struggling as a child financially, thank God. Um, But since I become public with my story, I've spoken to people of all walks of life. I mean, people who struggle financially, in, in its extreme ways and extreme poverty and people who are extremely, extremely wealthy, mm-hmm. um, heirs, billionaires, you know, you name it, everyone in between and everyone struggles with mental health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's a through line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hear you. I had a conversation as with my daughter, we mentioned Hillofold earlier. Um, and he had a, a, a he had a post recently that reminded me of a conversation I had with my daughter where he was saying, he mentioned the collective trauma of our Israeli soldiers, Israeli citizens, um, and the Jewish nation, but particularly for um, Jews living in Eretz Israel and during October 7th and since, <laughs> and, and the mental health crisis that will ensue. And I remember I said to myself, you know, there's only one solution to this. No one else can heal this, but Mashiach, like this is, this is, it's, it's such a level of trauma and unaware of, of this exchange. Um, my daughter mentioned to me, 
which was wow, so interesting. My 14 year old daughter mentioned to me, we were driving in the car the other day. And she said, Mommy, are we going to have a generation of Israelis suffering from trauma? And the answer, of course, is yes, unless Mashiach comes, which is the only solution and the only real healing. But <clears throat> my question to you is, Azi, short of Mashiach coming, um, and he may, may, may he come right now, um, what, what else could you share that might be helpful and 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 or that you'd like to see in place. It could be on a national scale or on a more private micro scale now at this moment until Mashiach's arrival. Yeah, Al, you are so right. We need a salvation. We need an immediate salvation because there's so much suffering around the world. I mean, I know that recently it was documented i i just read this the other day about 60 some odd percent of of mothers in israel are suffering with clinical depression right mm -hmm. now clinical depression and the rates of anxiety are skyrocketing and i don't think that it's limited to israel i think that right because we have access to social media if anyone is tapped into a global crisis and seeing and hearing things coming from that space, we're all experience, experiencing it on some level. So whether it's right in front of our eyes in the physical world, or if it's on the digital world, we're all dealing with more exposure to trauma than we've seen certainly in our lifetimes. More, um, pain, more pain than we had ever experienced. Yes, it's, 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 it's pain on, on every front, it's emotional, physical, psychological, psychological. Yeah, and we're we're, bum we're we can be confronted with it. We can even be bombarded with it when we turn on the social media. When we turn on, you know, if some somebody's watching television or even the news. You know, I have a joke that when we we first came to Israel, we were trying to shelter our kids from all sorts of things. They were little, and we went into a homeless and you know falafel cafe, and they had MTV like Israel MTV up on the a TV, and it was you know, all kinds of kind of racy things. And I went over to the man behind the counter and I asked him like very nice, like, do you know they're cursing on 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 this in the TV and maybe you can change it. So he changes the channel to the news. <laughs> and I'm looking at the news and I'm like, wait a second, go back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. You know, and so it's 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 it can be everywhere. And so, you know, what I want to say is that when we are vigilant, with our mental health when we put it front and center we can heal we can function um obviously there's gonna be different levels of functioning someone who's gone through an acute trauma what they need in that moment um definitely a lot of professional help and the right professional help and then someone who's dealing with everyday sort of ongoing perpetual trauma um living here i'm certainly not immune um i i was telling a friend of mine the other day i said about 27 times a day when i go around the country i'm i'm scanning for people's hands and mm -hmm. are do they have their hands behind their backs or in front of them am i standing too close to them what are they doing who are they you know it's like a constant and and i felt that way 20 years ago in the intifada here as well and it's come back and you know what i've realized yeah is that israelis have always felt this way mm -hmm. And I can remember a time when I sort of bought into this stereotype, not so nice stereotype that Israelis are loud and Israelis are rude. And I go around Israel now, first of all, and I don't have that experience. I, I, I met with so much kindness and so much unity here, but I've tapped into a little bit of the harshness and it's, it's, it's become a part of who I am also mm -hmm. because when you're in the zone that real fight flight or free zone when you're thinking about life and death on the daily you just don't waste time with what a lot of westerners consider yeah. politeness because it's not relevant and i'm not saying that we can't be polite and that we can't heal from trauma but when you're in that zone so many israelis have been trained to be soldiers they've been trained to take commands and make commands and get things done and, you know, speaking to a survivor a few weeks ago, this young man named Asaf Aron, he came to one of our humanity POV events and he spoke about his experience. And I asked him, I said, so the day after you survived this horrific massacre at the Nova Festival and you saw the worst of all, you know, worst of the worst 
like, what did you do to heal? And he said, well, I'm a security guard. And so I went to work the next day. And he says, now is not the time to cry. <clears throat> and he's just so on and he's so in it. You know, I think there's 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 that space where we just need to be so on. And I'm sure so the soldiers are so on and so on purpose. And there's also the individual experiences. Yeah, how every single person is experiencing things differently. But what I want to share and from personal experience, having struggled, you know, as I've spoken about before, I've been in different psychiatric institutions. I've gone through psychoses. I've been through very deep, dark depression, suicidal ideation, all types of things over the years. And I've also been vigilant in researching and finding out what are all of the modalities? How many modalities can I find? Which ones are going to work for me? And, mm -hmm. and, and how can I put those in place? So it's two things. It's the formal help. Mm -hmm. It's finding the professional help. So that could look like having a doctor, having a psychiatrist, having a support team, having a therapist, different types of healers, so that you have that like formal support structure in place. And then it's a lot of informal things that come through an awareness that we are biological, we are social, we have psychological needs, we have spiritual needs. So we need community. We need to learn about the mindsets that are gonna nurture our well being. We can learn daily practices to mm -hmm. heal. I mean, there are so many different things I could, I'm writing a book about it, but I mean, I could, I could list off several for you, you know, chapter two of 15, it's coming together um, a year in already, but, uh, but listen, there's so many different techniques and things, you know, people are discovering, you name it, <clears throat> something really simple, like getting sun every day, sitting in the sun, exposing your skin to the sun putting your feet in natural ground for 15, 20 minutes a day, um, getting light in the morning, getting light at sunset, making sure to hydrate, eating healthy fats, movement, all kinds of movement. You know, it's so interesting. There's a psychiatrist by the name of Dr. James Gordon, and he's now much older. He's been in the space for decades and he's gone to war zones to do healings. He's actually been in this region helping all of the people here. And one of the things that he does to heal these people who've gone through the most acute traumas are number one, belly breathing. So deep, mm -hmm. relaxing, deep belly breathing. And then he does shaking and dancing. Right. So Somatic. turn on the music and everyone closes their eyes and they just kind of, they just move their bodies and moving energy and really discharging that trauma that can sit in the body. So, you know, those are some concrete examples. There's a lot more. I mean, I could go on and on. I don't know how much time you have. No, but what I love this, what I hear is we have to make it a priority. That's what I'm hearing, right? You have like, you have to make it a priority and, and admit that you, you are, you, are, have been exposed to traumatic experiences and we have to take the rein and say, I have to yes. take care of myself. Yes. You know, it's so interesting. I think it's so easy for someone to say right now, oh, well, I don't have it so bad. You know, look at those people in Israel or I don't have it so bad. I'm not a soldier. Mm -hmm. I'm not. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because suffering is not relative and mental health is not relative. Wow. Wow. We can only operate with what we know as a personal experience. So I'll tell you, I was just on the phone with my psychiatrist on a Zoom. We only do Zoom. She doesn't let me do phone. She wants to see my face. Mm -hmm. So we we're on a Zoom yesterday. And uh, I said to her, <clears throat> you know, I said, I'm so grateful that I'm, I put my mental health at the top of the list as soon as this war started. It was my number one priority before anything else. And it is just so important to stay vigilant, ask questions, and get yourself whatever you need. Because when you can function, you can prosper. And and you know, yeah, you you asked about finances, and I'll tell you, I my business took a hit time and time and time again. It, you saw what happened because I was sick; I could not show up. And until I found the right help, and until I was able to then function again, only then could I work. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's 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 simple math. I love what you said before. It was such a mic drop moment. You said pain is not relative. Mental health is not relative. Suffering is not relative. So good. So Israel POV, Kesher video. Um, yes. What 
else is on the pipeline. Okay, so I want to tell you, I want to tell you about Israel POV because first of all, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. You know, I've been talking to my good friend, Courtney Meisel, who is such an incredible advocate on behalf of Israel. She's a good friend. And she really was the inspiration for this project. Mm -hmm. And she and I have been speaking for hours. And I mean, I'm telling you, going through Instagram posts and the news. And we came up with this idea together. And she put together the seed funding for this project. Wow. Yay, Courtney. How come I don't know Courtney yet? (laughs) Oh, you're going to meet her. You're going to meet her. She's she's really co-chairing this whole project with me. And... It is going to be so we have an incredible team we have courtney um courtney has a background she's a lawyer she has a background working in um counterterrorism. she has been on the boards of so many different organizations over the years worked in the space of combating anti-semitism she's such an asset to this project so she is on the team i'm working on this project i'm directing it i have zoe Bermant, who is the ceo of social media she is really a wizard when it comes to social media and she's helping us with all things social we have um sophie knopf who runs sk media management they are managing our social accounts she is she does um Nashim, mm-hmm. which is an incredible account on instagram which uh it's it's so impressive so she she does that account she's going to be working on managing ours we have also Miara Brody, who's a TikToker. She's an Israeli activist. She was in the IDF. She's going to help us on the TikTok front. And we're really working on doing this in so many different ways. So you might come upon our handles on Instagram and you'll never know that it's us because what we're doing is we're creating a campaign to speak to all the people who are confused. Nowhere in our handles are going to say the word Israel. Nowhere is it, are there going to be Israeli flags or anything that's going to remotely identify us because we are just like that just like they got into the curriculum, just like those radical Islamists got into the academia and the curriculum and the social media and the news and the mindset, we are gonna do the opposite. I love it. My words. I absolutely love it. And we're not the only ones. There are so many good people out there doing this. And so I see my role very much here as a connector, as a facilitator. I want to sit in the room with people who are doing things just like we do our masterminds and walk out everyone feeling like they have something that they can action where they're going to be more effective online. They're going to collaborate. They're going to have more of an impact, whether it's on social media, whether it's in the news, whether it's PR, whether it's in a college course, Mm -hmm. you name it. The goal of this is to make that switch and turn things around so that we can get the truth about Torah, Mm -hmm. about Jewish values, about Israel, about what's at the core of everything that we're actually doing. Because Yael, you know, we're all here to usher in an era of true peace. Yes. Amen to that. Amen to that. And keep doing it because we're, we're there. We're at the cusp and, and Israel POV might just be exactly what we need to just get there. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, yes, we are yes. there. Y'all, I'm going to give you a link to our page. Um, I'm going to tell you what it is. What it is. It's tinyurl.com mm-hmm. backslash a new POV. And of course, I'll send that to you. But and that's where everybody can see the donations page. And I can't tell you the Instagram handles or any of those things, but if anybody wants to jump on board with this project or learn more about it or meet with me and see how they can get involved, I am really looking for people who care about making sure that Jewish values see the light of day. And that is obviously going to include bringing the truth about Israel and the Jewish people to the forefront and doing it in a strategic way. So if anybody listening wants to get involved, my door is open. I love it. And you might see me there, people. I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm not saying. You're but you might here. see me in those meetings. You're already here. <laughs> <laughs> Asi Yankovic, thank you so much for your candid, open, vulnerable remarks, everything you've shared with us. You really are a light. I'm, again, so grateful to call you a friend. I'm really yes. very grateful that we had the time to share. And I continue to bless you with much, much success and everything that you do and much health and may we actually meet again in person in Jerusalem as we did the first time but this time with Mashiach Amen Thank you Yael 
Thanks to Dr. Azzi for stopping by. You can get involved with Israel POV at tinyurl.com forward slash a new POV, or you can email her at azzi at drazzi.co. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and rating. You might even win a 20 minute call with me to talk about anything that's on your money and business mind. And we cover the gamut. <laughs> Some of our calls get into children and marriage and all sorts of things. I try to pick a reviewer of the week every Friday. That's the day when I also answer your questions, which you can email or DM me on Instagram or LinkedIn. Finally, if you are ready to get your financial life in order, well, somewhat in order, as I hear we've all ignored a lot of it over the last few months, you can join me this Sunday for a live workshop where I'll be revealing all my best practical tips and tricks that might just give you the kick in the rear to take some action on stuff you know you should have done, but you just kept wondering, well, how do I do this exactly? And that kept holding you back. Well, this is a workshop designed to help you get answers, the answers you need and take some action. Yes, that might be a healthy thing. And I think Dr. Azzi might agree. Register for that at yaltrush.com forward slash workshop. Thanks for being here. I will see you here on Friday.